Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to Andy Staples on three, and we got some good old fashioned intrigue heading to the college football playoff. That's right. I'm out here in LA getting ready to cover the Rose Bowl. Alabama and Michigan players were in for interviews on Thursday, and well, somebody said something interesting. I know what you're thinking. With these two programs, they pretty much tell them not to say anything interesting, and most everyone complied, but Alabama receiver Isaiah Bond dropped a little nugget that became a whole thing. How closely did you follow the whole sign-stealing saga that kind of mission was engulfed in all, all year and, and how that all transpired? Say one more time. How much, how much did you pay attention to all the science stealing side of that Michigan had to deal with all year and the impact it had on college football and, and maybe their team? I mean, yeah, the science stealing. I mean, I didn't. Really, I mean, I heard about it. I really paid too much attention to it. I mean, obviously, I mean, that's in the past. I mean, we obviously um, the catapult system that they, I guess, they was taking signs from was um, they made it down anyways uh, for the playoffs because of that. So honestly, I mean, when we get on the field, it's, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to play us anyways. So all that science stealing is not gonna help them. Say more about the catapult. What was that? Uh, it's basically like the app we record, like film off or practice and stuff like that. And they was like, I guess, like looking at other people's like play calls, and, like their hands in those like the first eight games or something like that. So we wasn't able to like, we was able to watch film with the team, but like personally, we can't watch film because like, I don't know, some reason with the Michigan stealing signs. But I'm not really too keyed in on that. Your, co- your coaches told me that. Yeah, our coaches told us that um, probably like a week ago before we was like right before we about to come here, like getting prepared for Michigan. Tablets that you would normally be watching. Yeah. Right now, you guys are not watching. Yeah, we're not allowed to.
I don't think he was supposed to tell us that. So here's how this works. When all these teams take tons of video of their own practices so they can examine everything and uh, coach different things and say, fix this, do this differently. Uh, they review it after every practice and and before each new practice to make sure they're they're optimizing what they're doing. All of this in 2023 goes into the cloud and they have these cloud-based systems where teams store their video. And what he seems to be saying is Alabama said, no, no cloud here. We're not putting our practice footage in the cloud. If you want to watch it, you have to be at the facility. So that never thought we'd use the term air gapped in a, in a college football preview, but that here we are. And, and that's a computer that's not a, not connected to the internet in any way. I, I don't know if that's exactly what they're doing, but it, it does sound like they were trying to keep that stuff off the cloud in case prying eyes might be prying. So there you go. Michigan, you may be upset about that. The, the If you're a Michigan fan, the accusation, the temerity. But you hear about this for two months and you're probably going to do something about it. So knowing how Nick Saban operates and, and how detail-oriented he is, this is probably yet another precaution. But he also probably got on Isaiah Bond for revealing this little piece of information to the wider world. That's probably not something that, that Alabama wanted out there, but there you go. And if you want more motivation for Michigan, you've seen in the Wolverines use this whole saga as motivation since it started. Now would be a time where they could take this as motivation and say, Hey, we don't, we don't need this to beat you. And Alabama is saying, it doesn't matter. You still got to beat us on the field. That's what Isaiah Bond said. We'll find out. We'll talk a little more about this with Clayton Safey from the Wolverine, who's here with me in California. This is not going to go away. This is going to be a, a theme going into the game. And I know the Michigan fans are tired of it, don't want to hear about it anymore. It's going to follow them the entire season. So if they if they win and go to the national title game, it will still be a topic. I am sorry about that. But this is just one more reminder of all that stuff that happened before and how they got here. We'll see what happens in the game, but I don't know that this would have made any difference. Alabama probably could have kept its practice footage in the cloud, probably wouldn't have mattered, but now everybody can go into the game feeling like they did everything possible to make sure nobody has an edge that they shouldn't have. So we shall see. And yeah, it, we, we've heard from Terry on Arnold what it's like to get your ass chewed by Nick Saban. I think Isaiah Bond is going to have a really good story about that come game day. But some more interesting nuggets from Alabama players. Jalen Milrow, the quarterback, really interesting conversation with him and with Tommy Rees, their offensive coordinator, about the evolution of Alabama's offense over the season, but also about their own relationship. And it's a fascinating relationship between these two. Tommy Rees is a really young offensive coordinator. He's in his early 30s. He was the starting quarterback at Notre Dame in the 2010s. He, like Jalen Milrow earlier this season, got benched, found his way back in the starting lineup. He's been through a lot of this. He's been through the kind of pressure that you're under as Alabama's starting quarterback. I think you know a, a Notre Dame starting quarterback in the social media age, that probably feels a lot like being the Alabama quarterback in the social media age. I don't know that there are a lot of coordinators or quarterbacks coaches who can identify with that? It's a pretty unique situation. And so it feels like these two really get along. 
And obviously, Tommy Reese has learned to call plays for Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow has figured out what works best for him in this offense, and you've seen that develop as the year has gone on. But very interesting thing that Jalen Milrow said about previous offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, who's now with the New England Patriots. I, he meant no words. Someone asked Jalen Milrow a different, probably a question that expected a little bit different answer, but got something really interesting. Is there a moment where someone wanted you to play a different position or something, and you kind of said, no, I'm a quarterback? Shoot, you know, all my life, even when I was in college. Shoot, my own offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, told me I shouldn't play quarterback. So, you know, there's a lot of things I can, you know, have motivation on, and that is something I have motivation from. That is some serious motivation from Bill O'Brien, who remember when he's Alabama's offensive coordinator, he has been the Houston Texans head coach. He has been Penn State's head coach. He has been the New England Patriots offensive coordinator. He's been all of those things before he becomes Alabama's offensive coordinator. And so have that guy telling you you shouldn't be playing quarterback. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't feel great. And it did not sit well with Jalen Milrow. Now, follow-up question to that. Got an even better response from Milro. What was your reaction to Bill O'Brien telling you that you shouldn't play quarterback? Do you remember how you felt when you said that? How would you feel if I told you you suck? Probably wouldn't like it. Okay then, so that's, that's exactly how I felt. You know what I'm saying? So like, biggest thing for me, be true to myself, and you know, be, stay the same. You know, nothing changed about me. Only thing that changed me about it was I had the opportunity and I seized it. And so um, for me, you know, the biggest thing was just uh, stay true to myself and. Uh, you know, I had a bigger purpose than anyone's opinion. Is there a position he wanted you to play or said you should be this position or that position, or he just? I mean, he, he, I mean, he told me a bunch of bits that I could have switched to, but look where I'm at right now. So, you know what I'm saying? So who gets the last laugh? What answer? Who gets the last laugh indeed? Look at the position he's in right now. He's exactly right. He stuck it out. He believed in himself. And this is a guy who I think at the beginning of the season, you would look at him and say, okay, this is not an NFL quarterback. But as the season has gone on, you're like, okay, we'll see what happens with another year of season because he's coming back for 2024. But Jalen Murrow has a chance right now to help his team win a national title. You know, they're two wins away from a national title. And just what a great story. And he's a lot of fun to root for just like JJ McCarthy for Michigan. Both these guys are really enjoyable to watch. They, they, their personalities are great. And then with Milrow, he and Terry on Arnold, the Alabama cornerback, they have a, basically a brand that they've created called Lank. And it stands for let all the naysayers know. And when you hear that story, it really drives it home. So perhaps that will drive some sales at the Lank pop-up shop in Pasadena prior to the Rose bowl. You know, these guys have, have done a good job figuring out how to use NIL to connect with this. And, you know, for Milrow, this is this is basically his life story printed on those T-shirts. So it's been really interesting to watch him develop through the year. And he's he's talked a lot, but he he saved this little detail. And, and you you can kind of tell he was glad to get that off his chest. That that the, the there's a little living well is the best revenge, but he didn't have a problem saying you know what? This guy didn't believe in me. He was a naysayer. Well, I'm letting all those naysayers know. Cannot wait to see Jalen Milrow, 
line up against that incredible Michigan defense on Monday in the Rose Bowl. And this just adds another layer to it, just as what Isaiah Bond said about Alabama taking uh, cybersecurity measures and precautions adds another layer to this game. Let's talk now to Clayton Safey from the Wolverine about what's going on with Alabama and Michigan and the sign-stealing scandal that never will go away. It's two guys in rocking chairs talking to Rose Bowl. Clayton Safey from the Wolverine. Uh, we, we found a really nice spot down here. It's classy. At the old I mean, media hotel. It, it very Instagrammable. We've got the old Rose Bowl poster. We've got some roses. and a, This is... I may steal a rose. Don't do it. You have to earn the rose. True. You have to win but your way to the rose. I can't do it. I'm a media member. That's true. That is true. Well... <laughs> We are recording this, and it is going into the cloud so our producer can can put it into the show. So uh, fortunately, you guys don't play for Alabama, so you can watch this yeah. anywhere. You don't have to go to the Alabama facility or Alabama's team hotel to watch this. Clayton, that was the uh, the, the blow-up. Yeah, someone <laughs> cracked. Mini blow-up. Yeah, Isaiah Bond cracked. Talked about some of the precautions they're taking. And, you know, you've been covering this science stealing situation all season you've seen it with other teams too is it is it interesting to you how different teams have handled this information yeah and a lot of them they don't go into a lot of detail and i think again isaiah bond probably said, wasn't supposed to right he said too much um <laughs> but you know that happens sometimes i don't blame him obviously but yeah, a lot of these teams have really just more talked about the signs and how they're mixing things up. And Nick Saban talked about that, I think, uh, a week or two ago when yeah. he met with the media down in Tuscaloosa. But uh, how they're going to, you know, they do that typically. He said it's no big deal, you know, whatever. Well, it sounds like they're not watching film individually. They're, they have to watch them in groups uh, at the facility. And then Tommy Reese got asked about it. No one really else wanted to comment. But yeah. Now, what I would assume with this is it's the proprietary stuff, like your own practice video, that sort of thing. I would I would think if they want to watch Michigan's defense, they can they can do that as much Michigan as Michigan has that film. Everybody has that. Yeah. Exactly. But the, yeah, keeping stuff out of the cloud. And look, in this day and age, I, it's interesting to me because you think about how much information and until all of this blew up, I never thought about that, how much information each college football program puts into the cloud mm -hmm. in general right it's it's crazy and you hear about catapult as kind of that that system that everybody uses and then you know there are rumors and twitter accounts saying well this team has this catap they got their film off of catapult and they hacked it you know who knows what's the, real or what's not but the videos of these interviews that were done here today if if we media members want to access them. We go through catapult. That's, Everything runs through catapult. Yeah, and that's also the the system where the, they have the the wearables that tell you how fast the people are going the GPS exactly. data and all that. So if, if you wanted to get paranoid about it, you could get very very paranoid about this stuff. Right, you could. And I think you know Nick Saban's a guy who you know is ultra competitive, wants to get an edge any way he can, wants to protect you know, the edges they may have in any way. And Jim Harbaugh is kind of the same way. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me necessarily. It's just something I didn't, I didn't really think about coming down. To. I just didn't think an Alabama player would crack. That's, that's really the, the part that um, more amusing than anything else, because the, they are very controlled in, in what they say. Michigan's the same way. You, you didn't expect, you came into this expecting everybody to just coach speak, you know, give 110% one play at a time. And I uh, got, got a little bit of, Juice. Do you remember the Quinn and Williams when oh, when he yeah. almost said that 
what did he say? Something about Kyler Murray, but yes, he doesn't think he's all that. I was standing there, and then he just stopped. He talking. froze. It was like, like someone zapped him yeah. from remote. It's still one from of my the favorite. cloud. It's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> it was yeah, that was the Orange Bowl after the 2018 season, and yeah, I, I remember that. Have you gone up against any quarterback that slightly resembles Kyler Murray? Uh, now nah, I don't feel like I have going against a quarterback slightly resembling Kyler Murray, but. Uh, I feel like Kyler Murray is not uh, worried about. <clears throat> What's that? No, uh, I'm, I'm good. It was like someone had zapped him yeah. with with an well, electric shock. Like Saban. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, save yeah, Saban, not actually pressing the button. Right. Though he probably like he has the button that closes the door in the office. I'm pretty sure he has the zapping button. And probably a trapdoor somewhere. Oh, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, this is this is much more fun than I thought the, this interview session was going to be. But the, the, the Michigan <laughs> players, I did enjoy not not with you. I knew that was going to be fun. Oh, I think, but, okay, yeah. yeah but the the Michigan players got into detail on the uh, the beat the beat Georgia drill, yeah. which is called now, or well, it was called for a minute. It's the beat Ohio drill. Mm -hmm. It's the the beat Bama drill, I guess they're calling it now. But it's basically the inside run drill they do, and it's kind of taken yeah. on these mythical proportions. But it was fun hearing them talk about it because as somebody who's been through some of those inside seven-on-seven seven drills, it is the nastiest portion of any football practice. Yeah, and it's I think beat Ohio is the nine-on-seven. Um, yep. So you have all the run fits. If you're in the run game, it's you know, it's you know, a stacked box and basically trying to do that. And then I think the beat Georgia drill now beat Bama drill is something very similar, loud music playing yeah. those guys getting it going. I will say, I think and we can talk about it too, obviously, but you know, one of the things that Michigan may be challenged with in this game is more the speed yeah. of Alabama rather than, you know, and then obviously Alabama has got the size and the physicality. They've got all that too, that to match that maybe, and then some against Michigan, but the speed is something that came up a lot with a lot of these Michigan guys too. And, you know, they're confident in their ability, I think, but it's definitely going to be something that plays a part in this game. Well, I think this is what people get confused about with the whole idea of SEC speed. Like the skill position players everywhere are fast. Mm -hmm. Like the skill position players in the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, they're all fast. Right. It's when you get the giant linemen who move very fast, too. That said. Your guy, Kenneth Grant. That's right. The fastest lineman in this game, the fastest 300 pounder in this game Place for Michigan. Yeah. Kenneth Grant. And, and um, you know, I forget who said it earlier or today. Well, it was Jesse Minter, and he wasn't here a few years ago when Michigan played Alabama. And you and I talked about this a week or two ago. But the one position or one area Michigan has grown in since these two teams played in the Citrus Bowl to kick off 2020 is the defensive line. And particularly having the, the type of athletes, you know, maybe not as many as a Georgia or Alabama, but having some of those types of athletes. And Kenneth Grant's one of them. Chris Jenkins, I think, could hang in, in that category. Mason Graham, who we talked yeah. to today, is right up there and in, in much tougher, faster, more physical, and, and has better technique than maybe you would guess, but just watching him walk around. But Michigan has those types of guys. It's just, are they going to match up with the speed? Are they going to be able to, you know, maybe break tendency a little bit and catch them off guard? I think both of these teams have very well-equipped defensive lines. They've got a bunch of future NFL players mm -hmm. on their defensive line. I think both offensive lines are the, the area of concern because you yeah. saw it with Alabama, especially early in the season where they were very susceptible on the edges. Uh, if you had a good edge rusher, you could get home. Now they've changed their play calling a little bit mm -hmm. uh, to, to let Jalen Milrow move around a little more because he was walking himself into sacks at times. But Michigan late season, 
you know, we'll go to the Penn State game where they basically abandoned the pass because they were struggling to protect. Yeah, and, and now you're down Zach Zinter, too. So yep. it was the guy, Carson Barnhart, who was struggling at right tackles. Now you're right guard. Um, Trente Jones, likely, again, he, he started in the Iowa game, likely to start at right tackle. So it's something, you know, I, I've watched a lot of Alabama over the last few weeks. And, I mean, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, uh, 92, can't pronounce his name at the time, <laughs> Aboigby. Aboigby, you okay. got it. Um, you know, they're – they're as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dallas Turner, Todd McShay was saying he's his, his number one defensive prospect right now. And then you have the corners, too. So Alabama may be able to commit more towards the run. Um, so Michigan has not run blocked all that well, especially getting to the second level this season. It's something you wouldn't expect. It's been more the pass. It's been more running when they've needed to. Uh, short yardage, they're fantastic. But overall, from a down-to-down basis, it's not been the run game that it has been the last two years. So now with Zinter out and facing probably the best front you faced this year, I mean, Penn State probably up there, but I, I would take this one from Alabama, especially the guys on the line of scrimmage. It's going to be a big challenge for the Michigan offensive line. At the same time, and Michigan's got waves of guy that'll, guys that will right. rotate in on the D-line and, and try to give these guys fits. But, you know, I watched some Alabama early on, Caden Proctor, with some issues, but lately he's been much better. Yeah. Lately the, the entire offense line has been much better. I know you've pointed out, the way they've schemed that up with yeah with they're, help. they're helping a lot more with sure. with Caden Proctor although don't like you go by the Georgia game he doesn't need as much help right as, as he did because the, the Tommy Reese talked today the Alabama offensive coordinator he said for Caden Proctor the the light came on kind of after the Arkansas game and that game was a nightmare for him okay. he was just whipped you know time and time again and you know the Arkansas had a, a six seven uh, two hundred ninety pound edge rusher who was just you know, being a grown man basically against a freshman, right. eighteen. And even if you're, you know, even when you're three hundred forty pounds at eighteen, you're, that's right. He's three sixty. Uh, you're still eighteen. You're still eighteen for sure. And, and and there were there was a play eleven from Georgia Walker. Yeah, you know, gets past him, and I know they blitz, so it's kind of might might even be the the identifying what's coming and mm -hmm. and all that. Um, that could be an issue. And I think Michigan, with the way they line up their edges pretty yeah. wide, will be a different look that he's going to have to face. When you're you're bigger, I mean, it's easier to kind of swallow guys up like that, but you also may not move as fast. So yeah. I think that's something, you know, Michigan, again, we were talking to uh, J.C. Latham over there about, um, you know, how many edge guys Michigan is going to rotate yeah. in. So you're facing a different guy every play. Michigan probably try to keep him off guard with a lot of the twists they use, a lot of the stunts. So, I mean, the O-lines in this game could determine, you know, who who wins. Well, I'm going to break tendency because I don't want to say that the O-line determines everything. True. But for Michigan, I do think J.J. McCarthy, his mobility is going to matter. And, mm -hmm. and I know he's looked somewhat limited at the end of the season. It looked like he had something going on with a knee. Mm -hmm. But he's not had a month off. Yeah. And a healthy J.J. McCarthy, I feel like, is a very different quarterback because he is capable of moving around he's capable of, of making some of those mistakes go away he is and you know you saw that in the beginning of the year and then you know they would kind of dial back a lot of the design run stuff um you know to try to keep him upright keep him clean not use it when they don't have to um you know and i think that could play a part in this game too not just his ability to extend the plays and throw it on field honestly too some of his better plays have been when there's a breakdown in offensive yeah, line protection. Jalen Milrow too. <laughs> yeah, Jalen Milrow too. Absolutely. So then, uh, but the, going back to the design run thing, watching that Auburn game against Alabama mm -hmm. and, and what Auburn did, Hugh Freeze give him a ton of credit for 
for what they did with their offensive game plan. They complete six passes in that game uh, yeah. from the quarterback. Michigan, Michigan fans familiar with Peyton Thorne, former Michigan State quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that that would be some sort of blueprint <laughs> that they're looking at going into a college football playoff. Michigan's got to do a bunch of other stuff. They also got to stick with what they do. But I think they can do some of what Auburn did in the design run game for J.J. McCarthy. They've held it back all year. You'd see it a couple times here and there, but this is a time where you break it out. Last year, they didn't do that against TCU until the second half. And, and it that, worked. It's a big regret, and it, and it worked uh, really well against that defense. You got you to use that. Uh, I think this game's also going to come down to a lot of third and shorts, third mm-hmm. and mediums for Michigan, and whether or not you can stay on the field, because Alabama's going to stay on the field with Milrow probably. Um, but then again, it's a key for them too. So it's another cliche, third down, red zone, but uh, there's so much that goes into well, it. But that's the thing. I mean, these are two really good teams. The talent is pretty close. It comes down to the cliche stuff, whether whether we like it or not. It, it really does come down to can you convert your third and shorts? Mm-hmm. Can you stay out of bad down and distances? I, I mean, that's the thing that Alabama struggled with early in the season is we talked about, you know, whether it was the line play or or even Milrow. Mm-hmm. And it, and a lot of it, like t- hearing the Alabama reporters ask Tommy Reese the questions today because they don't get to talk to him all year. And so yep. hearing him talk about the evolution of the play calling. He's done a great job. It is really different than the beginning of the season. It is. And and again, like obviously some people watching Alabama fans and you and whatever have watched more than me, but kind of going through their games and, and watching four or five full games throughout the year, what they've done to build this offense around Jalen Milrow has been super impressive. And one thing I noticed, especially late in the year, is when the game is on the line, when a drive is on the line in those third down red zone situations, they're putting the ball in number four's hands. Yeah. Uh, so Michigan's got to know that. And, you know, a lot of running quarterbacks, that's the case where you kind of know a draw is coming at, at certain points, but sometimes it's frustrating because you can't stop it because you got to cover everybody else too. So it's going to come down to, I think, what quarterback plays better too. I mean, yeah. again, that's another cliche. It, but It's it, interesting because I, think, I yeah. think the average person is looking at these matchups and going, oh, the Quinn Ewers-Michael Penix Jr. matchup is is the quarterback matchup that we really want to see. Yeah. This, you know, in Alabama and Michigan, it's the trenches. Listen, these are two of the swaggiest quarterbacks you will ever meet. Jalen Milrow and J.J. McCarthy. Like, I would like to hear them just talk to each other for about 30 minutes because I bet they would have a fascinating conversation. Great personalities. Yeah. I mean, that was the first time I've, you know, got to uh, listen to Jalen Milrow in person and everything and see him walk in the room. And, you know, he he definitely has the swag there. J.J., you know, is kind of that that confident and like super nice but you know he's got that that there's kind an of edge warrior to JJ. You, oh, yeah, is. you can definitely see that when he talks. And and I think it, yeah. I feel like that's come out more in his interviews since all of the signal stealing stuff. And because mm-hmm. uh, he he's sort of embraced the Michigan versus everybody yeah, feels like mentality. He's, he's kind of protecting you know with the program. He knows Harbaugh can't say yeah. certain things and the coaches. So the things they can say, you know, I think JJ has been a great voice for them. And I mean, he's not a captain, but he is, he's as up, you know, he, he's as big of a leader on this team as it gets. Too. Well, I, I cannot wait to see those two get it on, on Monday. And, and listen, that line of scrimmage is going to be so much fun because I, it, it is, sometimes you have a situation where one O line is clearly better than the other one. D line is clearly better than the other. The O lines are both the ones you worry about in this mm-hmm. one. The D lines are both the ones that scare you in this one right i think it's gonna be a lot of fun it is i'm excited uh we got a you know a couple more days of coverage here but it is gonna be insanely fun uh, on monday clayton safey not afraid to put this in the cloud you can watch it anywhere you want that's me and clayton safey sitting in some rocking chairs and that's a pretty good setup anytime you can do an interview in a rocking chair it is 
the way to go. I highly, highly, highly recommend. You know what else I recommend? Game Time. Download that Game Time app. Use your promo code STAPLES. Get $20 off your first purchase. The easiest, most effective, least stressful way to get last-minute tickets. Do you want to go to the Rose Bowl? You can go to the Rose Bowl. Just type Rose Bowl into Game Time. All the tickets that are available will come up. There'll be a picture of the stadium. You click it. It'll show you exactly what the vantage point would be from the seat that you would be buying. Want to go to some of these other, but want to see Nico Yamamealava make his starting debut for Tennessee in the Citrus Bowl? You could do that. Head to Orlando. I imagine some last minute tickets are going to get bought for that game with Nico starting in it. They got flash deals. They got zone deals. Game time has it all. So download the app, use the code staples and get $20 off your first purchase with game time. Now we talk to one of our friends who we've seen quite a bit this season. Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl is going to join us to help preview these games because this is a guy who gets very excited about games like this because as a former scout and a guy who now brings the best senior players into the Senior Bowl to get prepared for the NFL draft, he is watching with the scout's eye and he loves these good on good games. And there's about to be a whole bunch of them so let's talk to Jim about some of these matchups that are coming up. We are joined now by our friend Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Jim, I am excited to talk to you because we've talked throughout this season and you know, going into big games, you've been you know, really amped up to see good on good. There's a lot of good on good coming up with these New Year's Six Bowl games and with the college football playoff. I, I guess we should start with, who are you most excited to watch here these next few days? Well, we could go game for game, Andy, and just uh, yep. pick out a prospect. But, but no, I'm excited, uh, you know, to see some of the the, the Texas-Washington game. There's some really good matchups. You know, Troy Fatanu, the left tackle for Washington. Rosengarden, the right tackle. I mean, you're going to be going up against a front with a bunch of great Texas players. I mean, that front with, you know, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, our, our two senior bowl guys we have committed. And are good players. And then you got Alfred Collins and you got Baron Sorrells. I mean, that's a true, that's a big time front four. So that's, that's a fun matchup. Uh, but again, we could go, we could go game to game. I'm um, excited to see that the Bama guys, Dallas Turner and, and Chris Braswell up against that Michigan offensive line. So um, there's some really good trench matches matchups uh, this weekend's games. Yeah. So I'm in California. I'm covering that Rose bowl and, and Dallas Turner's name has been brought up a lot. And I, I realize you know, in the NFL circles, his his stock has been very high all along. But what, what is it about him that makes him so special? I would say the athlete. Um, you know, when you were doing Will Anderson last year um, for last year's draft, I mean, you kept seeing 15 on the other side. Um, and it was just, you know, the get off the bend. I mean, Will's a great player. I'm not saying uh, I'm not comparing the two guys as football players because Will Anderson is an unbelievable football player. And as you know, with all your connections in Tuscaloosa, like his makeup was off the charts, mm-hmm. um, but just athletically, some of the movement stuff, some of the counter stuff that he's going to be capable of. Um, Dallas Turner is just a really high end athlete. So you mentioned that that Sugar Bowl, the the interior guys at, at Texas. Uh, Mike Penix Jr. playing against this defense. I mean, we've seen him play against Oregon, where they were coming after him quite a bit, and it didn't seem to phase him at all. Uh, how excited are you to see him against a, a very good secondary with a, a decent pass rush too? 
And it's a great point. I don't think Texas secondary gets enough credit. There's some really good players in that back end too. You know, we got uh, uh, Jade Barron coming to the senior bowl and there's, they got three or four other guys that are, are going to get drafted or, or, you know, be in a camp at least. So a lot of NFL talent back there. It is going to be a good, a good showcase for Michael Penix because you would expect this Texas front to be able to get some push. Um, and it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to avoid some outside pressure um, and be able to step up and, and maneuver the pocket. Um, but it's a whole different thing when that pressure is coming in your face, right? I think that's the goal of any defensive coordinator is to get some gut pressure um, and, and get the guy on the move a little bit, kind of kind of move him off that spot. And so I think we'll see that, you know, as good as Washington's offensive line is, and they won the Joe Moore Award, um, deservedly so. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good offensive line. They've done a great job with that group. Um, but they're going to get home up the middle. I mean, there's, there's, there, there, you, can't, you can't hold Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat in check the entire game. So I think, I think the NFL folks will want to see that. So how do you evaluate a quarterback when he has – that loaded of a receiving core. And I think we've talked about this with, with Alabama quarterbacks, with Ohio state quarterbacks of recent vintage, where their top three receivers are better than any of the other teams receivers, period. How do you, how do you adjust when you're evaluating for that? Well, usually with good receivers, you know, there's a lot of run after catch, you know, going back to that Mm -hmm. Alabama group with, with Jalen Waddell and, and Judy and Ruggs and those guys. I mean, they, they do so much after the catch. So you obviously strip that away. Um, and you really just focus on the anticipation and the, the decision-making and, and the accuracy. And again, there's a lot of pitch and catch throws that from an eval- NFL evaluator standpoint, you can just throw those reps out. I mean, they're not even, I mean, you, you could look at an entire game and maybe only 15% of the throws are, are really evaluative. Um, so you're just looking for when, when there is a tape, when, when there is a tight window, um, you know, in, in the ability to anticipate and put the ball on the mark. So, um, you can't, you can't take that away from these guys that they have good players to throw to. You, you can't ding them for that. Well, and Penix, it seems like the ball's just on the money every single time. That's, that's the part that amazes me. It, it, even against the best defenses he played, it was just right in there. Well, and it's and it's down the field, and it's it's the trajectory of the ball um, and the catchable ball. Um, and I saw that at the Manning camp a couple summers ago. I mean, you see these guys throw live. Um, you can get a really good sense for who's throwing a catchable ball, through who's throwing a heavy ball. Um, and that's what Mike does probably better than anyone in the class. I mean, we've got, it's a great this is a great class now. Um, but Mike's quick strike ability to hit those plays down the field. I mean, that's that's his calling card, man. So if you're if you're an NFL offense to really like that really likes to push it vertically, I mean, this is your guy. His down his down the field accuracy is a lot better than a lot of guys' intermediate accuracy. So let's talk about some of the guys that have committed to the senior bowl already that you guys have announced. I before we started recording, I mentioned one of them. And uh it, it, this is this is one for the college football sickos. This guy has been a star for a few years. Iowa's Tory Taylor. The best player at Iowa, perhaps one of the best players. Well, definitely one of the best players in the Big Ten. But this is a punter who is a weapon. He, and he's had to be, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, someone that was at, it was at the uh, – I was talking to a scout that was at the Iowa Senior Day, and they were saying when, when they introduced Tory, he got a bigger ovation than anybody, and he was the, and he was the, and he was the punter. Um, so yeah, he's, he's taken on a little bit of, of folk hero status, uh, which is cool. I mean, he, and he's an Aussie, right? So he's an older guy. He's an Aussie. 
Uh, we had Steve Wisnowski from the 49ers in the game, like my, my second or third year here at the Senior Bowl. Um, I don't know what it is about these Aussie guys, man. Like, they're, they're great dudes. They're cool guys. Um, so we're excited to have them down here. People have, I've seen people comment online, like, why would you even bring the Iowa punter? Like, what more can he, what more does that kid have to show? <laughs> what he, yeah, what can he show? <laughs> but he's, he's trying to get drafted in, like, the third round here instead of you, the usual punter spot. Right. So, so, you know, it, it was a career achievement award. You know, he, he put in his miles, got in, got in all the kicks, but, uh, but no, he'll have a great week down here. I, we're excited to get him down. Those, those specialist guys, there's, it's a good group. I mean, Tory's won. Um, but I think, I think, you know, usually in a good year, we have, you know, three or four of our guys drafted. Um, and I think this year, I think, I think all four of the guys we brought to kick and punt will we'll get drafted. Another guy I'm excited about, cause I'm watching him all season. And I, I think, the, the wider college football world woke up to Braden Fisk during the ACC championship game, watching him dominate for Florida State against Louisville. Uh, he's a Western Michigan transfer, defensive tackle. Probably not exactly what you're looking for from a measurable standpoint as a DT, but then you get him on the field and he's an animal. He is an animal. Uh, I was actually talking with an NFL guy about him this morning um, and about that, you know, Florida State defense. And he was like, man, I think the best player on the whole defense is is the Fisky kid. And I said, well, there is a guy named Jared Burst, right? Did we <laughs> He's pretty that? good, too. <laughs> um, but, but you know, you said Braden was at Western Michigan last year, and he's we're going to reunite him with one of his ex-teammates, uh, Marshawn Nealon from Western Michigan, um, who almost went to Colorado and played for Coach Prime this fall. But, but no – Getting back to Braden Fisk, I mean, he is, uh, yeah, you want to pigeonhole him as like this, you know, undersized, like white, try-hard, plugger, defensive tackle, and the guy is super disruptive. He can really run. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, we, we, we've talked about maybe even playing him at some fullback here at the Senior Bowl, and what he is, <laughs> like, it started to show up in that ACC championship game. I think he had the three sacks. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, there was some paper production there. But going back over the course of the season – he's truly one of those guys that creates for people around him. Like he blows stuff up. He's super disruptive with his get off and then like creates this chaos and then guys clean up around him. Um, you know, like, again, you, usually you see a guy like him, you're like, Oh, he's the cleanup guy. They're like, no, he's actually the guy that they're cleaning up after. So really a cool player. Um, and I told him when we spoke that, uh, you know, I'm like, man, bring that same intensity to practice. Like we need tone setters during our game, during our game week to really to keep practices, you know, really spirited. And uh, he's like, I got you. I got you, Jim. I'll, I'll make sure I do that. So uh, we're excited to get him here for sure. So my favorite part of senior bowl practices when I watch them is the one-on-one pass protection drills. I'm looking at your edge rushers. You've got Adisa Isaac from, from Penn State, Darius Robinson from Missouri. Uh, and I know there's, there's other ones on the way. Uh, McKinley Jackson from, from Texas A&M. And then the offensive tackle group like Christian Jones from Texas, like what matchup are you most excited to see either, you know, on the interior or, or tackle versus edge guy? There are some, there are some great ones. I would say, you know, Leatu Latu from UCLA right now. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he's being projected to be somewhere in that first round. You know, he, he think about this. He could be on that Washington football team, you know, as great a season as Washington has had, he could be on that front opposite Draylon, uh, Braylon Trice right now. Um, but he had the neck injury um, and they, they shut him down and UCLA cleared him. And, and he's been a stud. He's, he's really the most skilled rusher in this draft. We've talked about Dallas Turner in the athleticism. You know, Latu is a little different. He's very, very skilled guy. So to go against this group of, of tackles, whether, whether it be Troy Fatanu from Washington, Patrick Paul from, 
from Houston. Um, just trying to go through that list. Some some really really uh, good tackles. Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. I think he's gonna. Oh. I think he's gonna blow everyone away. You know, I, I think there's a lot of Olu Fashanu, Joe Alt talk right now, and there should be. They're mm-hmm. great players. Um, but if you talk about ceilings of this year's tackle class, I think Tyler Guyton's got the highest ceiling. I mean, he does things on tape that the, even those two other guys don't do athletically. So. Uh, big week for him. That that would be a great one. Latu and uh, Tyler Guyton. We talked about Tyler Guyton on the show the other day. I was I was telling everybody you're going to be hearing his name over and over and over again for the next four months. I just remember uh, Gabe Eichert is a friend of mine. He played center at Oklahoma and and yeah. works in the media in in Oklahoma City Norman area. And he said the first words out of his mouth about Tyler Guyton freak show freak. and <laughs> like was a tight end at TCU. <laughs> like this guy is is potentially one of the more athletic tackles we've seen in a long time in a long, yeah. In a long time. And again, his tape was, was super easy to do over the summer. I mean, that's the nice part about the senior bowl evaluation. Like once you, once you get to a point where like, Oh, they're good enough to good enough for us to invite. You don't really have to keep going that, that far. Um, Yeah. He just does things like a smaller man. I mean, his ability to play at the second level and get out in space. I mean, he runs, he moves, he slides like a smaller guy. And, and to me, you know, he's playing on the right side for Oklahoma um, and the, the guy. So he kind of reminded me athletically and in the right side players, Tyron, Tyron Smith uh, yeah. coming out of USC and, you know, Tyron's been a kind of a multiple time all pro for the Dallas Cowboys. That's the kind of ceiling that Tyler Gutton has. If it all clicks and I think it's going to click um, we're talking about a pro bowl, all pro level player. I cannot wait to see it. Very excited. I know you're, you're waiting to watch these games these next few days, Jim. And, uh, We'll get back together afterward and, and see how everybody did and see uh, see who else is coming to the game because I know there's some big names out there that, that you guys are waiting to reel in after bowl season. Yeah, we're sitting on some big ones, Andy. We got some commitments. Then the guys don't want us to announce till after they get done with the bowls, which totally respect, totally get. Um, but Monday's gonna be Monday's gonna be dicey. That's it's a house divided um, here <laughs> in Mobile. My wife is a Bama grad, so we. Uh, you know, a lot of people have reached out like, hey, you guys want to watch the game? And I'm like, I'm not going to be the only Michigan person in a house full of Bama fans like that. That is not happening. That's going to it's going to be my wife and our kids. Um, and if Michigan, you know, loses or uh, however that thing falls, we're not going to have any outside uh, influences. So it should be exactly congrats right. that you're out there. I mean, that should be an awesome setting for that game. I'm jealous. Um, enjoy it, man. And, and uh, yeah, I look forward to talking in a couple of weeks. I cannot wait. I will text you some pictures pregame. Thank you so much, Jim. Love it. Thanks, Andy. That's Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. He's going to be a very, very busy man because once these games end, you'll see some of the biggest names committing to the Senior Bowl. You will then see the, the practice week itself with the scouts and all of them descending on Mobile. We'll be there too. So we will get a good bird's eye view of all of those guys as they get ready and we'll talk to them as they are leaving college football we'll do some college football exit interviews as well but next up we got to pick some of the biggest games jd pickel my tag team partner at on three gonna join us to pick the new year's six games and the college football playoff games but first we're gonna talk about prize picks the most fun daily fantasy app on the internet. Download the Prize Picks app today. Use the code Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to $100. 
then you can just start having fun. So I just put down a prize picks play on some of the New Year's six games. So you know how I feel about this. I like rooting for people. I don't like rooting against people. So on prize picks, you pick your squares, and it could be college football, NFL, NBA. It'll be a player and then a statistical measure. So this player will score this many touchdowns. This player will score this many points. This player will grab this many rebounds. And you pick at least two squares, and then you decide how much you want to put down. I am rooting for, not against, Quinshawn Judkins, the Ole Miss running back. They're playing Penn State in the Peach Bowl. 0.5 rushing touchdowns. I went more. Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback. They're playing Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. 1.5 passing, rushing, or receiving, in case there's a trick play, touchdowns. I picked more. Devin Brown. Devin Brown is starting for the Buckeyes against Missouri. This feels like an audition where Devin Brown can say, hey, look, I know you're in the portal. I know you're looking at other quarterbacks. Kyle McCord's gone. I'm your guy. I'm your QB1 for 2024. We saw this with Miller Moss in the USC Louisville Holiday Bowl. So Devin Brown's number is 224 and a half passing yards. I said more. Let's let Devin Brown give it a shot. Let's let Devin Brown make his case for QB1. All kinds of fun can be had. I've got to play on the Alamo Bowl where I'm saying, I want this sucker to be a shootout. It is the dawn of the Jackson Arnold era at Oklahoma. That game, as we are running this show, is about to kick off. So I got Jackson Arnold, more than his passing total. I got Noah Fafita, the Arizona quarterback, more than his passing total. We are going to have some fun, fun action on prize picks all weekend because these games are going to be incredible, but they can be even more fun if you got a few squares on prize picks with them. So download the prize picks app, use the code Andy, and they will match your first deposit up to $100. Now it is time for picks with J.D. Piquel. All right, we have picked all the other bowl games. We have uh, we've used a coin. I think I beat the coin, but I think we both sucked. In general, our records were not great. Uh, but we also had Ralph Russo come on. As I'm watching Rutgers in Miami, we may have both missed this one because we both picked Rutgers, but we, we'll see how this goes. It's not over yet. We're, we're working our way through all of the bowl games right now. J.D. Piquel joins us. You know him, you love him. Host of the Hard Count. Every Tuesday and Thursday live and also UCJD throughout the week here on the On3 YouTube channel. What's going on, Andy, man? Glad to be on with you. I know we got a lot to jump into. I know you're out in beautiful, sunny California. I hope it's sunny for you. I'm not sure if it's been that way. But, man, glad to be on with you. Glad to pick some bull games. Uh, the most wonderful time of the year where uh, meaningless bull games. I don't know if, if that term exists in, in your lexicon, but all these two. No. They are all meaningful. All you need to do is watch the, the winning team celebrate, watch the coach get something dumped on his head, whatever it is. Sometimes it's creative. Sometimes it's just, you know, desperation. But it is uh, it is always fun. And, yes, it is sunny. After a smoggy arrival, it is a sunny day in Southern California. And I'm excited about this, J.D. So we've got the New Year's Six Bulls, two of them, seem very competitive and like we're going to get the versions of the teams that we saw all year. One of them doesn't look like it's going to be anything like we saw all year. And then one feels like a mismatch, but then we've also got those college football playoff games and both of those seem pretty spectacular. 
Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. A lot, lot, lot of big-time games to unpack here. Uh, is there one to you that like is the most intriguing matchup? Like, Is, is there one here where you're just I mean, g- going back and forth with the coin and trying to get a gauge for it? Uh, I, I kind of feel that way about both the playoff games. I don't, I don't have a great read on either one of them, and the, the spreads are close for a reason. They're both, you know, we've got a one-and-a-half-point spread and a four-and-a-half-point spread, and there's a good reason for that. I, I don't think anybody has a great idea of what's going to happen. But, you know, if, we, if we're going into the, uh, into the New Year's Six, I'll start – well, we could, we could start with Missouri and Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. So Ohio State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and that number keeps changing. This is a, an interesting one where Missouri is going to be basically intact, and, and we talked to Eli Drinkwitz last week about his, his attitude toward guys in the portal, and basically they're allowed to play. And they can practice, and uh, as long as their portaling and, and looking for a new school doesn't interfere with the team, they're welcome to be members of the team and play in this game. And it feels like it's a really big deal for them. Ohio State, Kyle McCord's gone. It's a Devin Brown game. Like this feels really intriguing because if we're going to talk about who definitely cares about being there, I think we know it's Missouri. Yeah, and honestly, Andy, we probably should have known that Missouri was going to be a wagon this year when you sat down with Eli Drinkwitz at SEC Media Days. He was yeah. rocking like the Chrome Nikes. Like for me, I was <laughs> like, dang, in hindsight, I should have known they were going to be cooking this year. Uh, I'm curious to see, just like you said, the want-to factor for Ohio State. I tune in pretty frequently to the Letterman Row YouTube channel, the Ohio State on 3 YouTube channel. And th- I mean, they're, by nature of what they're saying from the Boots on the Ground report, like a lot of those guys are talking about coming back for another year in 2024. Mm-hmm. Jack Sawyer being one of them, uh, JT Tui Malowal being one of them. And so I'm kind of wondering if they're thinking, yes, this year hasn't gone how we wanted it to, but this is a chance now for us to kind of springboard in 2024 uh, with a guy in Devin Brown who, heck, if he goes out there and, and slings the pill around the yard pretty effectively to like three bills and a couple of touchdowns, maybe there's a conversation for him to be the guy next year and all that portal noise dies down. So the intrigue factor is high, but I actually think we're going to get a pretty good version of Ohio State in this game. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Marvin Harrison. I know that th- th- there's been no announcement or anything, but I'm just guessing that there's no Marvin Harrison in this game. But the Devin Brown factor is really interesting to me. And I think, you know, watching Miller Moss play for USC in the Holiday Bowl was a good example of there are guys who believe they are the guy and they just want their chance. And once they get it, they're going to show out. And maybe Devin Brown's that guy. And the buzz all offseason between him and Kyle McCord was, hey, Devin Brown arguably makes more plays than Kyle McCord. The unfortunate reality is sometimes he makes more plays for your defense, which is why Kyle McCord ended up being the steady hand they went with. But no, I think anytime you got a quarterback that wears number 33, got a little bit of <laughs> boxy to you. You know, you got, you got a little bit of that it factor to you if you're down yep. to wear the number in the 30s and play quarterback, much less be the guy at a place like Ohio State. So I, I think just from a pure physical gifting standpoint, I don't know that you lose anything without Kyle McCord on the field. Now, the obvious question is, do you have that same sound decision-making? Is this moment going to be too big for a one Devin Brown? Because I look at this offense, and I'm like, even without Marvin Harrison Jr., Travion Henderson being in the ball game, um, we'll see if Becca Ibuka is good to go. And if he ends up playing, uh, it sounds like he will, Andy, if I'm not incorrect on that assumption. Like, there's still yeah, some I, guys to throw the ball so. to. Cardell Tate, Carl, Carl Tate's playing. Like, there's a lot of guys still to uh, make some plays for you. Yeah, and that's what's interesting. And the, the Marv factor is huge, though. We've seen games where Marv was the difference. I, at Penn State and Wisconsin, I think, were, were two games where Marv was the absolute difference in the game. Missouri's 
more talented than I. If you didn't watch Missouri all, in a lot of games this season, you might think, okay, maybe they benefited from a, a, a favorable schedule. Or No, no, no. Missouri was good all year, and they're well put together. Brady Cook's been awesome at quarterback. Uh, Cody Schrader is the story of the year in college football. I mean, D2 Truman State transfer, walked on. And then they've got a bunch of bunch of dudes on their defense. And again, they're basically intact. They don't have a lot of opt-outs. Uh, that's the part that that I would be scared of if I'm Ohio State, because this is a team like they've played Georgia as tough as anybody played Georgia till Alabama beat Georgia. I, this is this is a good team. And I'm I'm really excited to see this game. And also more Harrison Mevis. Anytime Harrison Mevis yes. is involved, it's gonna get wacky. The thicker kicker, baby, from deep. Anywhere you need it, he can get it for you. Uh, yeah, he's must-see TV anytime he lines it up. But, no, I mean, I think what you said just about uh, Cody Schrader being a guy for them, like how was he ever playing D2 is my question. I mean, what kind of numbers <laughs> did he put he, up How did he not gain 7,000 yards a year in D2? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, I think the other thing to look at here, too, for me, with what Missouri does defensively, like Andy, you know this, they're, they're going to heat them up a little bit now. Like they're yeah. going to be true to who they have been all year long. They, they got after Carson Beck pretty good when they played Georgia. Uh, they will have that same flavor defensively. And it's one thing to be able to handle that if you're Carson Beck, you're playing at home. You've seen a fair amount of different defenses throughout the year. This is Devin Brown's first day out. So how he handles that pressure from Missouri, I think really will be the story in the game and uh, will be the ultimate deciding factor on who wins this game. So the thing is, if you're going to give me a Harrison Mevis field goal and half a point, I think I'm going to take Missouri in this game. Yeah, you know, the the spread, if, if it was at two and a half, I'd feel a little bit better about going Ohio State. But even with that being said, I think Ohio State's ability to lean on Travian Henderson and then kind of that that question mark, almost the, the mystery box of the playmaking factor for Devin Brown, uh, I'm actually going to lean towards Ohio State to cover this one just barely, Andy. And I think they probably land somewhere around a five or six point victory, but I'll take Ohio state to cover here. Actually. All right. It is. This is going to be a fun one. Another fun one where it seems like both teams are very intact and very excited about what's to come. Ole Miss and Penn state in the peach bowl. You know, it, it feels like we're getting the versions of these teams that we saw during the season and Ole Miss. I mean, I, I think if you're just looking at what they're getting in the portal, they're they're looking like, okay, this is our springboard to a very special 2024. They can finish it off with win number 11. And then Penn State, they're tired of everybody saying, oh, but you never beat Michigan or Ohio State. Well, that's what next year doesn't matter. Like this team can make the playoff regardless of how that goes. Plus, no more divisions in the Big Ten. So, I mean. Adisa Isaac says he's going to play in this game for Penn State. Like, there's really good players in this game, and I, I'm excited about this one too. Oh, this will be a lot of fun. And like you alluded to a little bit with Ole Miss, uh, I don't know who wants to see them in a 10-team or in a 12-team playoff right now if they were to you know carry over their momentum from early in the regular season and the way they're playing. Um, a curious thing for me in this one is how much Penn State asks of Drew Aller. Because as mm -hmm. good as he is and as talented as I think he is just from a, a physical gifting standpoint, he's going to be good in Happy Valley for a long time. We've seen a couple instances where against better competition, they've taken away that run game from him. I think the Michigan game and the Ohio State game are the two that you point to. 
And it's been a little bit of a struggle. Now, is that on Drew Aller? Is that on the receiving core not being able to separate consistently enough? Uh, Ole Miss, similar to what we said about Missouri, uh, they're going to heat him up a little bit. Sunterine Perkins, a, a dude who's been just that, a dude for Ole Miss as a true freshman this year. I'm curious how much pressure they're able to apply and how much they ask of Drew Aller if you're Penn State and, uh, and, and what they ask him to do throwing the football downfield if that run game isn't there how they want it to be. That is the the key question, and Ole Miss is pretty good up front. Uh, they they will get after him, and I, so I was at Drew Aller's last game at the at, at Ford Field when they played Michigan State, and I saw him against Michigan as well. And in the games where he was not pressured, man, he will just pick you apart. He did that to Michigan State. He did it to Maryland. He did it really did it to Iowa as good as Iowa was, um, but. Then when when there's some athletes on the other side, especially that can lock up their receivers, it's he doesn't pull the trigger as fast as they'd like him to. I think that that's probably the the biggest thing is is guys are open. Like I remember in the Michigan game, the the crowd would gasp as somebody sprung open and he didn't throw it. He clutch and it's like, oh no, what do we do now? And that's the part I worry about because Ole Miss, you are dealing with quite a bit of speed defensively you're dealing with a, a, a decent front seven that will get after you so that's that's the part i worry about and then you know well but the penn state rush defense you know are they going to be able to slow down quinshawn judkins yeah they might be able to my question to take a step further is how much man coverage penn state plays we've seen mm -hmm. lane kiffin in that offense with jackson dart uh they're pretty content to scheme up a lot of those crossing patterns, a lot of those all-coverage mm -hmm. beaters, and just get it to their guys in space and, and let them cook. And we saw Marvin Harrison Jr. kind of take advantage of that same style of game uh, when they came to Columbus to play them. Now, the good news for uh, the folks in Happy Valley, uh, there is no Marvin Harrison Jr. anywhere else in the country, much less in this football game. So that's good news for you. Uh, but I'm just but curious there is how Trey much... Harris. Yeah, he, hey, he can cook now a little bit. He's not Marvin Harrison Jr., but he can be a threat for you if they get him the ball in space. So just how difficult that offense is to defend I'm a little bit I'm a little bit nervous right now in this game, Andy, if I'm Penn State. I am too. I am too. It's a, Penn State's a four and a half point favorite. This is another one where I feel like if you give me points, I'm gonna take them in this situation. Yeah. And so I give me Ole Miss plus the four and a half. We're in lockstep here, Andy. I like Ole Miss to cover that four and a half. Uh, on our show, I picked I picked Ole Miss outright. So we'll see if I have egg on my face the day after this game. But I think Ole Miss covers, and I think Ole Miss actually wins this football game. I don't love the idea, especially if early. Ole Miss creates separation. It's like a 10-point game, and Ole Miss is ahead. I don't love Penn State's ability to have to chase there, so I'll take Ole Miss to win in the cover. Now let's get weird. I love let's it. go, to, let's I love go it. to South Florida. Georgia and Florida State, this line has moved from 14 points when it opened. Georgia is now favored by 19.5. There are 17 players on the Florida State 2-deep who were not on the Florida State 2-deep for the ACC championship game. JD is a completely different team. Brock Glenn's a starter. You also have to be careful with Brock Glenn because there are no more scholarship quarterbacks, basically. Like it is you, Jordan Travis is hurt. Tate Rodemaker's gone. Like it is a strange situation. Uh, the Florida State team, and I look, I know people say, well, Florida State should have, they all should have played so they could prove the committee wrong. No, the committee told them their season didn't matter. So I don't blame any of the Florida State people for doing what they did. I don't blame them one bit. I do feel bad for the guys who have to play, though, because they're playing against some really good players at Georgia. We don't know if they'll see Georgia's biggest stars. But the, the, the other problem is, like, 
guys who are trying to win starting jobs next year at Georgia are really dangerous right now. Yeah. No, with, without question. And I mean, I was trying to find a world where Florida State just wins this football game. For, forget the number. Like, if Florida State just right. ends up winning this football game, and I mean, the we saw, we saw I USC coming do back it to, to. to Louisville, like, we saw them with half a roster win a game. So it's not yeah. impossible. No, not not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, the, the big thing I kept coming back to was, like, I think it would take just the most lackadaisical showing from Georgia. And I think Kirby Smart, even though it was several years ago, I think he remembers the Sugar Bowl against Texas and hearing Sam Ellinger jump on the mic and say Texas was back. I think he's still running off that fuel. Uh, and with Carson Beck being the trigger man for you still in this game, like I think it's uh, – I, I don't see where the offense comes from for Florida State, even with Brock Glenn you know, having a game of experience now. It wasn't the game that provides a ton of confidence for me. So, yeah, this is uh, – this could not be a tremendous viewing pleasure in the second half of this one, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's it's not going to be the defense we saw from Florida State in the ACC championship game because if that like if that defense is completely intact, well, one, this number is not what it is. But if that defense were completely intact, Florida State would cover this number easily because it just wouldn't be that high scoring a game. But it's not, and that's the part I don't know what to do with this because again, Vegas making sure there's there's action on both sides. Like, this number is getting so big that I'm like, well, what if Georgia takes a lead and, and then empties the bench and Florida State scores a point? Like, I don't know. I still do think the guys who are playing for Florida State will be trying to prove a point. And there are still some really good players playing for Florida State. So, ah, it's such a big number. <laughs> it's so hard to, to say I'm not going to take 19 and a half points. It's one of those things where I just feel like the depth of Georgia, like you said, even if they do clear the bench, let's say it's no it's no Brock Bowers in the game at all, even to start this one. Let's say that they get yep. there and 19's not playing. Well, then you got Oscar Delp. Well, you sub him out. Well, then you got Lawson Lucky. And just, yeah. just down the line, like I just I don't see a world where Georgia takes their foot off the gas in terms of what those guys are doing from an effort standpoint. Uh, I, th I think Georgia covers, Andy. I really do. Well, and that's again what I said, what I was saying earlier about Georgia. Even if there are backup players in, these are play like the offensive line. There's a lot of jobs open next year because there's guys going to the NFL. Like they're fighting for their starting job next year, and so they're highly motivated. And that's that's what you're looking at is motivation, and the motivation is it feels more on the side of of Georgia players who will be there in 2024 versus the the Florida State players right now. So yeah, I'm as as much as it pains me to take a 19 and a half point favorite in an orange bowl, I'm gonna have to take Georgia here. Yeah, true Florida man kind of game with the way the yes. spread is working. Florida man kind of bowl with uh, with Georgia Florida State, but no, we're we're in lockstep here once again. Let us move to the desert. Liberty against Oregon. Now SMU very mad that they did not get the nod as the uh, as the highest ranked group of five champ but liberty undefeated jamie chadwell's first season at liberty and this is an interesting one because i've wanted to see this offense against a team like this for a long time i do think there's a talent gap talent discrepancy but this is an offense built to deal with the talent discrepancy it is a triple option based spread passing attack if that makes any sense yeah. But I I personally can't wait to see it. I just don't know if Liberty has the dudes to hang with Oregon. 
Yeah, contrary to what the Ohio State social team said, this actually is the showdown in the desert, not the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but with that being said, I, I 100% agree with what you said about the defensive side. My concern is when it comes to Oregon and their ability to, to run the football, I'm not concerned about Oregon. I'm concerned about Liberty. Like you said, that talent gap and what happens on that line of scrimmage, I don't know that if there becomes a situation where Oregon just wants to you know, slow the game down and they decide they want to be the team that holds the ball, not necessarily in Oregon's personality to do that offensively, but I think just the fact that they could do that makes me nervous about what Liberty would be able to do. Now, if it becomes a shootout and all, and all bets are off in that standpoint, then you know we're going to have a really great view of this thing from a TV yeah. product standpoint. But I, I just I think Oregon's upfront ability is, is going to be too much. Well, in the question of motivation, Liberty is certainly very motivated. They they want to prove they belong in this situation. They want to prove they belong on this stage. So they're they're going to come out hair on fire. It's really you know probably Oregon's going to going to need to withstand a pretty hard initial punch from Liberty. And you know Caden Salter is a guy who initially signed with Tennessee, uh, wound up at Liberty after he was dismissed from Tennessee. He's had a great season. He's very good for that offense. His skill set works very well with that offense. So you know, we, we could see some fireworks early, I think, because Liberty will be very, very pumped to be there. The question is, does Oregon withstand that? I, and I'm with you. I think if Oregon wants to at a certain point, it can just run the ball, let that offensive line do its job, and control everything. Uh, obviously, everybody want, they, they want to send Bo Nix out on a good note, he wants to put some more good film out there. But I do think this will be a, a really good, really good test for Jamie Chadwell and his staff that, you know, part of their their knock when they were at Coastal Carolina was you've never had to recruit at the Power 5 level. You've all, because all of them have kind of been together and they've gone from D2 to FCS to FBS. And so if you are a fan of a school whose coach might be on the hot seat, entering 2024 and you're thinking about Jamie Chadwell pay special attention to how he handles this game because this team's always seem prepared and they always seem to outplay what they're supposed to be. We always have a game like this in new year's six, obviously by nature of a group of five team playing in the new year's six, but doesn't it feel like there's always that game every, you know, two, three years where a team like a Liberty rolls in there and they're a massive underdog and they've got a little bit of a you know it factor to them with the way they run this offense. You mentioned Caden Salter, Jamie Chadwell. His resume speaks for itself. Could kind of be a sneaky one. Now I'm not taking liberty to cover or or to win this game, uh, but I do think that there's there's something to be said here for just what you mentioned at the top of this thing. The way that they attack offensively kind of mitigate some of that talent gap they they may not have uh, on the offensive side of the football on the offensive line side. That is. The way Liberty wins is that they jump jump on them, score a couple quick touchdowns, and then Oregon makes mistakes trying to come back, and, and they turn the ball over. That's how that's how that works. I don't see that happening. Because Oregon, I think, can just calm everything down, and like we are talking about, just really keep it on the ground or keep it high percentage through the air, let playmakers in space handle everything else. So I'm going to take Oregon to cover the 16.5, but I, again – very excited to see the Jamie Chadwell offense on this stage because it's been one of my favorites to watch at the, the group of five level. I want to see it against this level of defense. It, it's going to be fun. I think the Oregon want to factor is there by the way that they yeah, finished in the PAC 12 title game uh, by Troy Franklin being snubbed for just even being a Blitnikoff 
Award finalist for for Bo Nix not winning the Heisman. Like I, I don't know if that necessarily is at the forefront of their mind, but I do think the Washington game left a bad taste in their mouth. I think they'll finish strong uh, against Liberty. All right, let us get to the college football playoff. We'll we'll start with the game I'm at JD, Alabama and Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Two classic brands in a classic setting. Beautiful environment. Oh, coaches who are legendary at their schools. Like everything sets up for an incredible game. It's a one and a half point spread. It's basically a pick 'em. JD, I cannot wait for this thing. I am very excited to see Jalen Milrow versus JJ McCarthy. These are two quarterbacks that I think are, are very much in firm command of their teams in firm command of the offenses that they play in. That, that wasn't always the case for, for Jalen Milrow, but it is now. And this, this is going to be, I think, epic. Andy, that intro, man, had me ready to run down on kickoff. I mean, I'm ready to go bust a wedge right now, brother. Uh, if we had <laughs> Keith Jackson calling this thing, rest in peace, Mr. Keith Jackson, that would be the last puzzle piece to make in this just college football poetry in every single sense. But no, like you mentioned, the, the matchup between quarterbacks here is really interesting. Uh, on prize picks, I took the more for both of these quarterbacks' rush totals. <laughs> J.J. McCarthy was somewhere around 16 yards. Jalen Milrow is somewhere in the 30s. I think they're both going to have a major factor in this game. For J.J. McCarthy, I think you got to kind of be a change-up to that sledgehammer approach they've been all season in that run game uh, with Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards. Also, we've seen Alabama have a little bit of issue against that design quarterback run, whether it be Jaden Daniels, whether it be Peyton Thorne. We've seen them get got a couple times. And then for Jalen Milrow, with him running the football, I think you got to kind of dance with the one that brung you. And we've seen when they are at their best, they are calling design quarterback runs. Andy, we sat side-by-side side in Atlanta watching that Georgia defense not have issues diagnosing the quarterback run game, but have issues stop stopping it. those elephants on parade. So I think that ends up kind of being uh, one of the key factors in this one for Alabama and for Michigan. Oh, doctor, I hadn't been this excited for a game since I was knee-high to a doodlebug. Yes, that was a, that was a bad Keith Jackson. It was a bad Keith Jackson combined, combined with the Keith Jackson from The Simpsons. So, uh, <laughs> which might have been actual Keith Jackson. I, I don't know if they had Hank Azaria impersonating him. But this one, it, you mentioned J.J. McCarthy. He looked limited running the ball at the end of the season. Like, he may have been hurt. He's had a month to recover. If there was an issue there, it may not be an issue anymore. And I do think that does open things up in terms of what he can do running the ball. I'm most worried about Michigan's offensive line protecting him in the pass game. We saw them basically abandon the pass game against Penn State because they felt like they couldn't protect him. That part scares me because if that happens against Alabama, you're done. Like You ain't running the ball 20 times in a row against the Crimson Tide. That's not going to work. So he's going to need to be mobile. And then listen, Alabama's offensive line has got to figure out how to stop Michigan's D-line. That's not the easiest thing in the world either. So I, I do think it's, it's going to come down to whatever defense can affect the other quarterback more. And so right now, if I had to just pick based on that, because I do think that'll be the determining factor, I'm going to take Alabama to win this game. No, I mean, I, I think the, the way you put that is exactly the way that I'm thinking about it as well. The, the way that Michigan wins this game is a pretty narrow path, and that is staying ahead of the sticks, running for at around four yards of carry and not having negative plays. Just like you mentioned, against Alabama with how hot that defense has been and the way that they 
really, for, for the most part, kept Georgia at bay running the football. Uh, I don't know that Michigan is, is a tougher task than what Georgia brought to the table. If Michigan's going to win, they got to have answers outside of the run game. I don't know that they do by nature of the pass catchers. I love me some Colston Loveland. I love me some Roman Wilson. I don't know if I love them to win one-on-one against those Alabama defenders in the secondary. I, I think Alabama, if kind of what we said uh, in a previous bowl game, talking about the, the Penn State Ole Miss matchup, I think Alabama, if they can get some leverage on Michigan, I don't like Michigan to chase them. Uh, so for the exact same reason, I'm going to take Alabama to win this football game and uh, obviously have them covering that plus one and a half. All right, let's go to the Big Easy and figure out who else is going to play for the national title. Texas and Washington in the Sugar Bowl. And I got to tell you, J.D., I have no read on this game at all in terms of who I think is going to win. I'm just being honest with you here. I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for Michael Penix and those receivers against a really good Texas secondary with a, you know, the Texas defensive line. We talked about them all season. We've not talked as much about the secondary, but those guys are deep and they can cover and they can make plays. And if they can, you know, pick off Penix once or twice, different game. But I think we we also, you know, Braylon Trice, ZTF, Washington can get after your quarterback too, and we haven't seen any disastrous Quinn Ewers game yet this season. We saw a couple of them in, in 2022. They could create one of the like that's what I'm more worried about. Like an off game for Penix is not great. An off game for Ewers, you're losing. Yeah, I mean, either way, like you said, for uh both these quarterbacks, like it's gonna be more shots than Bourbon Street offensively downfield. Like you got NFL wide receivers, two NFL quarterbacks. Uh, it's going to be a high scoring affair from where I'm sitting. I think w- when I try to break this game down, I break it down through the lens of when I played the NCAA 14 video game. And I know you're, you're an NCAA guy as well, Andy. <laughs> it's going to be so many Absolutely. points. Scored. Like it's going to be, it's going to be like trade and drives going to be who has more bullets. And whenever I played that kind of game with my buddy, it came down to two things. One, who gets that key turnover? And I think I lean towards Texas in that scenario. And then two, who can downshift the best and just kind of make it ugly in the fourth quarter and run the football and kind of play keep away. I think both those things favor Texas. Texas, that's who they are offensively. On, you know, up front, they run for right around 200 yards a game. And then the depth they have in the backfield, whether it's Jaden Blue, whether it's C.J. Baxter, Keelan Robinson, I think they have some uh, some different sets of tires they can rotate through there. So for that reason... I could see a game where Roma Dunze just says, hey, I'm him today. I'm taking over, and that's the way that Washington wins. But going back to what we said about our previous playoff game as well, I think there's more ways, more styles Texas can play in this game than to find a way. Yeah, and Texas having such a diversity of skill, talent, A.D. Mitchell, J.T. Sanders, I think C.J. Baxter's uh, very good as a freshman running back. A lot of, lot of ways to beat you. That said, what you just described, you talk about a team that can muck it up, that can can run out the clock, run you know run the ball to victory in the fourth quarter. Is that not what Washington did to Oregon in the past championship yeah. game? Like, no, it, it absolutely is. And I think that was one of the first things that I said to you when we got to Atlanta because Oregon had just played Washington. I was like, Andy, I did not see a world where Washington's offensive line did what they did to Oregon the night before, and so. I mean, I could sit here yet again for another time this season and say, hey, I was wrong about Washington, and that would be, I mean, par for the course for what this season has been with me picking the Huskies. <laughs> uh, also, I think they're like kind of the Alex Honnold of this entire college football playoff. Like, they don't flinch when they're up there on the cliff. They, they don't feel yeah. that pressure free soloing in a one-score game. They're 7-0 and in one-score games. 
And so the way that they, you know, are kind of immune to that pressure, that could also be a thing that favors Washington and kind of could be a, a path for them to victory as well. So I think the depth of Texas still makes me lean towards the Longhorns in this one with what they have in that backfield. But if it's the same kind of game style they had in that first half against Oregon, like you might be seeing purple for the second year in the college football national title. Well, I, I think for those reasons you just said, I'm taking Washington here. I'm, I'm getting points against the spread. So even if it. Texas wins, as long as it's close, I'm good. But I think Washington can win this thing straight up. I think Washington can make the national title game. So get, give me the Huskies, and I appreciate the four and a half points. There we go. I'll take Washington to cover, so I'll really sit on the fence here. I'll take Washington to cover right around a field goal game, but I will take Texas to outright win and uh, maybe get a little rematch in the, uh, the national title between Bama and Texas, which I want to be a fan of, but if we get it, we get it. And uh, regardless, any four of these teams, I think, for the first time in a long time, has a real shot to take home the, uh, the, the hardware. Absolutely. This is the first time in the 14 playoff era, which ends after this. But the first time I felt like all four teams had a chance to win the national title. And I am very excited about that. And I hope everybody else is, too. Uh, we will be with you all weekend. We got a, we got a show on Saturday uh, coming off the media days for the the Rose and Sugar Bowl, so we'll have plenty of stuff there. And obviously on Sunday, we will break it all down and get you ready for the college football playoff, and we'll talk about all these other games that will have happened. We'll know if J.D. was right or if I was right or if we both were right with these games. But it is the best weekend of the year. This is going to be so much fun. J.D., talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Andy. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.